revived your concern for me. You have indeed concerned for me, but you have had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever circumstance I am to be content. Whew. Isn't that awesome? Are you content? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And then he goes on and he says in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Isn't that awesome? So Paul wasn't even thinking about himself. He was thinking more about them and the increase coming to them. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. So, again, we thank you for your giving. All right, testing one, two, testing one, two, all right. Uh, if you'll turn with me to John chapter one, please. The gospel of John chapter one. We're going to continue the series on you will be like God. And that's the lie that the enemy spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, and we looked at Genesis chapter 3. Let me just remind you of verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he got them to believe something that was not true, that they would, if they ate of it, they would become like God. They were already like God. They were already made in his image. So, But the difference is knowing good and evil. In other words, they had never experienced evil yet. All they had known was good. And if they ate of this, they were going to be introduced to evil. And from that, we have everything that's going on today. And so I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 5 um, because... When we look at what's going on in the world, we see this happening. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. So, to be like God means that we're going to choose what is right and wrong. When we begin to choose what is right and wrong, we don't have the right ability to do that. It's not within us after the fall to be able to do that. 
And so we have to look to Jesus as a truth. And that's what he is in God's word and and be led by the Holy Spirit into truth. But when people talk about, at least this is what I'm hearing, about good and evil today and how evil is becoming good and good is becoming evil, there's a lot of people who think, well, Jesus must be coming back soon then. And so I don't want to disappoint you, but I don't think he is. Because think about this. This was back in Isaiah's day. He was saying the same thing we're saying today. So it was difficult back then, but just because it's difficult here doesn't mean that God isn't still God. I think what has happened is, is as the church, we have pulled back our light, and instead of being a light to the world, we've pulled it back. We've hidden ourselves. We've created our own little sanctuaries, and then... We wonder why the world is in the condition that it's in. Rather than us being out in the world and changing the world and letting the light shine, we've pulled back. And um, I think God is writing that. And he's waking us up, waking the church up to the need to be in the world. And so this morning I want to talk to you about being in the world. But we have to understand how the world has changed so that we can write it, okay? But in John chapter 1, starting in verse 14, we hear this. And this is speaking of Jesus, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Can you say grace and truth with me? Awesome. You did a great job. Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's how we need to be in the world. He goes on, verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? And then he says this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so God has revealed to us Jesus, or Jesus has revealed to us God. He is the embodiment of grace and truth. So we need to allow him to be our example as to how to live in grace and truth. We have all met people who like truth and have very little room for grace. And then we have other people who have a great measure of grace and they have little room for truth. And we need to be a people who have both of those. Grace and truth have to go hand in hand. And I thank God that Jesus is truth, but I also thank God that Jesus came full of grace and we can receive grace upon grace. Now in our society, we are always trying to redefine truth to make it fit into us rather than us fit into God's truth. 
Now, the last time we mentioned all of this, we talked a little bit about science, but, you know, because everybody says follow the science, except for the ones who are saying that, don't say it, don't follow it. But we're coming to the place where two plus two isn't four. Okay. Do you know in Africa two plus two is four? <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that out. But we might be a little bit brighter than them, so it, it doesn't have to. But anyways, marriage is being redefined. Family is being redefined. Gender is being re redefined. Our sexual orientation is being redefined. And I remember years ago, if you're as old as I am, you remember when the fight first started on all this that the sexuality was supposed to be for the bedroom. Well, it's not there anymore. It's portrayed for everybody to see. And so there's a redefining going on. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the redefining of winning and losing. And the ramifications that we're going to face, that we are facing, because we have redefined winning and losing. And here's how we've defined winning and losing. We, we have just said, let's just do away with losing. Nobody's going to be a loser anymore. Everybody's going to be a winner. Now, that seems noble in theory, but it is completely against God and His Word and His ways. So then we have to ask ourselves, why are we taking away the word loser? And that is because if you are a loser, you have this sense of feeling bad about yourself and the world doesn't want you to feel bad about yourself anymore. And so rather than you feeling bad that you're a loser, they just want you to feel good because you're not a winner, but we don't know who you are now. <laughs> now, you have to understand that we have walked down this path. I'm not like saying this is what's going to happen. I'm just letting you know this is what has happened since we have taken away the loser. And in other words, everybody gets a trophy. You get a participation trophy. Okay? So here's what is going on. Since everyone is getting a trophy, we lose the ability for the need for discipline in our lives. And here's what I mean by discipline. It's the whole realm of being able to be focused, to be able to have self-control, to be able to uh, study in a certain thing and, and, and master it. it. It's not, you know, there's physical discipline, there's mental discipline, there's spiritual disciplines. There's natural disciplines. You know, if you have a certain bent, like when I was growing up, I loved math, and so that was easy for me. I, you know, if I had a, to study any subject, I would study math just because I loved it. And so that was a discipline that was developed in my life. Uh, when I came to know the Lord, I wasn't a great reader, but 
when I came to know the Lord, I started reading the Bible. And guess what? I became disciplined in reading again. I mean, my comprehension when I met the Lord was probably not on the charts. But after reading, I learned to be disciplined and, and to be able to comprehend again. And so that's the kind of thought that I'm talking about. And see, if everybody's a winner, then why do we have to discipline ourselves? Why do we have to try? And not only that, why would we have to try hard? And not only that, why would we have to try harder? Because we're already winners, right? If we are all going to get a trophy, then there's no reason for me to stand out. There's no reason for me to rise above and improve and become skilled. You see, when we are disciplined, then we become skilled in whatever we become disciplined in. When we don't have discipline, we don't have skill. I am thankful like I said before, for the doctor who was disciplined to go through everything that she went through before she operated on me. You know? I'm thankful for the teachers who have studied and they've become disciplined so that they can be teachers. And whatever other thing you do, you become skilled in it if you become good at it. And you become skilled in it by being disciplined. Okay. God is looking for some skilled believers nowadays. In Exodus chapter 35, you can turn there if you want or you can just mark it. They're getting ready to build the tabernacle. They've come out of Egypt and they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. And Exodus chapter 35 verse 30 says this. Exodus 35:30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. I hope that's how he spells it or sounds, pronounces it. The son, of your, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he, was fi- and he has filled him with the Spirit of God with skill. Listen, God has filled him with it, with skill with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. This is the reason why. Verse 32, to devise artistic designs. To work in gold and silver, in bronze. Verse 33, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. God did this. He skilled him so that he could do all of this stuff. And then notice verse 34. He says, And he has inspired him to teach. Both him and this other guy, the son of this other person, of the tribe of Dan. 
He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver or by or by any sort of workman or skilled designer. And so God has, it sounds like he has supernaturally gifted them so that they could teach others how to do the things that God wanted them to do in order for them to build the tabernacle that God wanted them to build for his presence to come down and to be among the people. And if we're going to become skilled, we have to first become disciplined. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the karate kid, the movie, and the wax on, wax off. So I might be dating myself. But if you remember that, he had that boy, wax on, wax off. And remember how he rebelled against it and how he didn't like it? Because all he was doing was waxing on and waxing off. Until the day came when he was in a fight. And he needed to be able to wax on and wax off and wax that guy. Amen? And and so that's what God wants to do in us. He hated that discipline at first. But he he was thankful for it when he was in the middle of the fight. And I want to tell you, we have to become disciplined for God so that we can become skilled at the time that we need to be able to do what God has called us to do. Now, I think we have one of the best worships ever, not just in this city, not just in this state, in this country. Okay? I hope you realize they don't just get up here on Sunday morning and do their stuff. I hope you realize that they have practiced. They have worked hard at it. They have disciplined themselves. And from the time we were here, BJ, I know, he played the instruments. All the, He became disciplined in them. He didn't get disciplined in them by laying his head on the pillow at night and saying, God, give me that discipline. Give me that skill. No, he's worked at it over the years. Worked at it long and hard. Okay? David, as he's speaking to his son Solomon about building the temple for God, David basically said, hey, look, I've provided everything for you. Now you go get the skilled men and put it together. And so we find in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 15, this. He says, you have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of crafts without number, skilled in working. You see, all of those that he just mentioned, the stone cutters, the masons, the carpenters, the craftsmen, they're all disciplined because they're skilled. So somewhere in their life, they became disciplined, uh, skilled in working. And this is what they're working in. Gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Isn't that amazing? You know, I've shared this before too. With Debbie coming and doing the landscaping at the church. You know, when we saw her yard, we're like, 
Now, we might be slow, but we're, we eventually see it. We saw her yard, and we're like, oh, my goodness, Debbie. And we said, how would you like to do some work at the church? Oh, I would love to. Now she's not sure she wants to anymore, but I did outweigh her. She's retired, so this year's been good. But she's skilled in that, so why not let her do it? And it looks awesome. And thank you, Debbie. So let me read 1 Chronicles twenty-two, fifteen, and 16 together again. Okay. You have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Arise and work. Isn't that awesome? I love that at the end. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. I think that is so awesome because... They have this, and now he says, arise and work. And so go do what you're skilled in. Go do what you're disciplined in. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles chapter 2. So now send me a man skilled to work in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, and in purple, crimson, and blue fabrics, trained also in engraving to be with the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. And then one more I want to call your attention to, and this is Ezra. And I hate to do this, but I trust that you'll go back and look at it. It's in Ezra chapter 7, and he's, he's in Babylon. He's serving under the king, and he's desiring to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, but he's laying all the foundation. And so we pick this up in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled, everybody say skilled, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. How did he know he was on? Because he was skilled. And then if you read down later, you'll see some other ones which we don't have time for. It's just amazing the skill that Ezra had. When we fail to learn discipline, we fail to gain self-control, we fail to learn how to focus, and then we lose, listen to this, we lose the ability to learn and to become educated. When we're not disciplined and we don't become skilled, then we lose the ability to learn and to be educated. Because if you're going to be disciplined, if you're going to be educated, you're going to have to learn how to have self-control. You're going to have to learn how to focus. You're going to, you know, that's why it's so important that you make sure your kids do their homework because it's teaching them how to become disciplined. And everybody wants the shortcuts in, in, uh, in doing homework and everything. Make them do it the long way first. Then you can do it the shortcuts. So when they're not educated and they're not learned, what happens is, we begin to rely on someone else to make a way for us, to provide for us, and that's anti-God. And that's what we see in society now. They don't have to do anything because somebody is going to take care of them. Somebody is going to provide for them, and they don't have to do this. And when you look at the scriptures that we read about the skilled workers, we have to understand that they 
became skilled because they continued to be disciplined in the things that they did. They became better at it by doing it over and over again to the thing that they were called to. The same needs to be true for us as well. Whatever God has called you to, we must do it for His glory and unto Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, the Scripture says this, So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, now in here, everybody does something different. So whatever you do, everybody say, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in all the things that you do. But if you will keep doing them, you will find out what you're good at. You will find out how God made you. You will find out the calling that he has on your life. And if you'll become skilled in that, be disciplined in that, you'll do great things for God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, and whatever you do, oh, here it is again, whatever you do. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the babysitter, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians 3.23 Whatever you do, oh my gosh, he says it again. Whatever you do, work heartily. Isn't that awesome? Can I change that a little bit? Instead of work heartily, become disciplined. Become skilled. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so if we don't become disciplined, if we don't become educated learners, skilled, if we don't become that, then the next step is, is we learn to fail or we fail to learn how to overcome. And if you haven't noticed yet, there's plenty of things in this world to learn to overcome. Now, I want to encourage you that we learn how to overcome by learning how to think properly. By learning how to be disciplined. By learning how to know what God is doing in our lives at the time that He's doing it. We overcome difficulties and struggles by learning how to think. And when we overcome something, it means that we have been stretched. And if you haven't figured this out, when you're walking with God, He loves to stretch us. And the last time I checked with Him, He doesn't ask me if it's okay if He stretches me. He just stretches me. But He puts us in places so that we can learn to overcome. We can learn to overcome what our own mind has limited us to. What others have said about us that are going to limit us. He says, you know what, you don't have to be limited in that way. But if we're not disciplined, if we're not skilled, if we're not educated, if we're not learned, then we're not going to be able to overcome. 
And, you know, we can sing the song about overcoming and everything else, but I'm here to tell you, it takes practice to be able to overcome. So when we fail to become disciplined, we fail to be skilled and to learn and to be educated, then we also have lost the ability to become great. Do you know that greatness is in your DNA? And I believe it's in our DNA whether we're saved or not because God is our Father and greatness is in Him. It's, it's who He is. And if we're His sons and if we're His daughters, then greatness is in us. But if we're not disciplined, that greatness is never going to get out of us. <clears throat> if one of the things that I think we've done right with raising our children is we taught them that greatness is in you, the greatness of God is in you, and we can't wait to see the greatness of God come out of you. But it's like faith. It has to be exercised. It has to be learned. It has to be disciplined. You don't just wake up one morning and say, okay, God, I'm ready to be great for you because you put greatness in me. No, there's things that you have to learn so that you can be great. And really, greatness is just letting God be glorified in our lives. But we have to be able to see greatness in us. Somebody has to tell us that greatness is in us. And if nobody will tell you, then write out 1 John chapter 4. Or first, yeah, 1 John 4, 4. And this is one of the, this is the scripture that we use to teach our children that greatness was in them. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God. Isn't that awesome? And you know what? If, if it's too late and you don't have somebody speaking this over you and you're an adult, then put this on your mirror. And when you're getting ready in the morning, you need to be able to say to yourself, I am from God. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so I just want to propose to you, if Jesus is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us and he is greater than this world, he is greater than the enemy, he is greater than anything that can come our way, then if we can be a people who are disciplined, both in the natural and in the spiritual realm, if we can become skillful, both in the natural realm and the spiritual realm, if we can learn to be stretched by God more and more to be able to overcome whatever the enemy throws at us, then greatness will be revealed in us. But if we're not willing to be disciplined, if we're not willing to become skilled, if we're not willing to become learned and to be stretched, then we're not going to be overcomers and greatness is not going to come out of us. And then let me remind you of John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. So part of the reason God has given us the Holy Spirit and placed him in us as believers is so that we would be empowered to become all that God has for us. To be able to be a, a release of greatness, of glory, of goodness, of love, of joy, and peace in this world. 
But if we do not demonstrate that to the world, if we don't demonstrate that greatness, if we don't demonstrate Christ by not being disciplined and not being able to overcome things and, and all the different things that I've said this morning, if we can't be disciplined and skilled and all of that, then and even though the power of God is in us, if He's not being revealed in us, then we are no different than the world who doesn't have Him in them. If we are not different, then there's no way possible we're going to be a witness for God. If we don't handle situations differently, if we don't speak differently, if we don't see things differently, then the way they see them, then we have nothing to offer them. And yet God has placed His Spirit in us so that we can do this. And then I'm going to say this last point. And I've seen it happen. When we don't have discipline, we don't become skilled. We're not disciplined in learning and in being educated. We're not willing to be stretched and to learn to overcome things. And this is the last point that I have. Then we become lazy. We become lazy. And if we don't become disciplined, and I believe it starts with that, if we don't become disciplined, if we're not willing to become disciplined, then we're, we're sliding down that road to laziness. Because all of the things that we have to do require us not to be lazy. If you're going to be disciplined, if you're going to become skilled, if you're going to become educated, if you're going to become stretched, if you're going to overcome, you can't do it and be lazy. But if you aren't those, you will be lazy because you have stopped striving for the things of God or the things that will help you in this, even in the natural world and we settle for less than what God has for us. We're just saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it. And we settle. We settle for less than what God had planned and what God had destined for our lives to be. And if you don't believe that this is true, all you have to do is spend one hour in one class in any room, in any school, and you will see this happening. Children nowadays have very little understanding of discipline, very little idea of how to become skilled and what they can do for their lives so that they can grow and learn much and they aren't being stretched they're not being forced to being stretched. They just live each day just getting by, hoping somebody will help them overcome because they don't know how to do it themselves. It's there. But I want to tell you something. It's not the kids' faults that they are like that. 
It is society's fault because we have taken losing away. Everybody's a winner. And so now we have lost all of what I've been sharing this morning. You could start to see this coming in the schools. But when it gets to the parents and the parents don't have these qualities, how do we expect the children in schools to have these qualities? And I'm telling you, that is what has happened. Because we have redefined winning and losing. We, Jesus came with grace and truth. And apparently the world wants grace and they don't want truth. And so because we've done away with losing, we've done away with discipline. We've done away with becoming skilled, with becoming educated, learning, being stretched. You know, I can remember times when I was in third grade that I had math homework and I don't know that I had any other homework. I just loved math so much. And, and I just worked at it constantly. Now, there is one section of math I don't like, and that's geometry. Sorry, Tina. But when you're, as you get older, you begin to love geometry in a new way because you're not in the class, but you're using it. <clears throat> if you'll stand with me, please. Jesus embodied grace and truth. And I pray that we would be a people who are willing to embrace it as well. And I pray that we can make a difference in this society. We see what's going on. We see the redefining. We see the chaos. We see the confusion from it. But may we be a people that wherever you go, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Become skilled in it so that you can begin to right the wrong in society. There was a time after Isaiah spoke these that things did change. But for us in America, they're changing. Will we rise up? Will we arise and work? And may the Lord be with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and the love that you have for us. And Father, I thank you for your people here. And I thank you that they're committed to you and to being disciplined with you. To walking with you through it all. Through the good times and the bad times. The times that they don't understand why they have to go through it and do the things that they're doing. But. We're doing it anyways, Father, because we love you, because we trust you. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who embrace grace and truth like Jesus. That we don't try to redefine things, but we stick to what you have declared. We walk in that. Not trying to be perfect, 
but trying to be obedient, trying to be faithful to you. And being able to dispense grace all the way through. Not only to others, but to ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. All right, go out and be dispensers of grace and truth.